Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess so. I, part of me was like, I already have a job in this field. Do I really need to finish my degree? But then I was like, I better just do it. <laughs> <laughs> so here we are. I've also been listening to a lot of uh, Megan Thee Stallion. And goddamn, I love her so much. She is hands down one of the most beautiful creatures I've ever seen. Like, and she's just a like, force. She's drop dead gorgeous. I've been watching videos of her, of her like twerking and like the isolation of like her butt. Like she can just, it's his own. Like how you do what you do. That like one the, person can be so beautiful and so talented. Just, I don't know. I'm like, why do I even try? It's not What's fair. What's the point like, of me even existing? Yeah. Like the game just is like all you want. I know. <laughs> I never even had a chance. I've also been, uh, I just bought the whole Avatar Last Airbender box set and I've just been binging that. And it gets you in your feelings. Because as an adult, you don't, you don't, when you're a kid, you don't realize how much shit that show taught you. And I'm watching as an adult, and I was like, this, this really, they're hitting all the good points. <laughs> this is a hard show. I never watched show. Avatar. I was never into that one. I watched um, a lot of Naruto. <laughs> there's two kind of kids there's the Naruto kids, and then there's the Avatar kids. Yeah, I was definitely a Naruto kid. I was the worst. <laughs> And then like they have a bunch of like uh like books and lore on Avatar. And I just started reading the uh one of the books about the past Avatars who was the straight up lesbian and fought for equal rights yes. for sexuality and equal rights for women. That was like, God damn, Avatar, you did it again. Make it be cry. Oh, you love Avatar. I've been continuing on my trend of trashy reality TV. So this week I've been watching Bachelor in Paradise. How was that? Which is the worst show on television. So basically, there's The Bachelor. <laughs> there's The Bachelorette. And then every okay. summer, they take contestants from The Bachelor and The Bachelorette and stick them all on an island together. Ooh. And drama and chaos ensues. Um, I will say that Love Island UK is the superior show, but I will take what I can get in these difficult times. So is the goal of Bachelor in Paradise to find a Bachelor in Paradise or... Like, oh, it's exactly what the title would suggest. Okay. Everyone's there looking for love. Every week, people get eliminated. New people come in. Everyone's making out with everybody. I mean, I would love but to do that what? kind of it show lasts. just to pull like a New York moment and like really just go off the wall for no reason and call someone. What did she call that one chick? She's like, you don't look Beyonce, look like Luther Vandrado. I would love to do that to somebody. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, I know what you're talking about. My favorite was Bye Pumpkin. <laughs> Bye Pumpkin. Like I need I need uh, that kind of like t- early 2000s trash people on TV again. Yeah, that's the kind of energy we need on our screens as the world burns around us. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, the, <laughs> the rainforest is dying, but I need my trash TV to save me in these dark times. <laughs> well, anyway. Yeah, so we are not a murder. Despite the beginning of every single one of these episodes may suggest. Yeah, we have our moments. We just we need to <laughs> This is how we get into it, you know? <laughs> but yeah, we talk about true crime that affects people of color and people of color community. And we also listen to some sick ass tunes. And we talk about pop culture for a little bit, you know, just because we're, we're human and you can't ignore pop culture. There's so, uh, two things in this world that 
fascinate me. It is true crime and trashy television. And, and that's, that's what, all anybody needs to know about me. And now that's what makes you unique and beautiful. <laughs> I know. <laughs> what makes you different makes you beautiful. Yeah. Just kidding. 90 percent of women are this way and <laughs> <laughs> what makes us special is that we're not. <laughs> it's, it's the balance of it, really. <laughs> we all need some stability in our lives, and this is what brings me mine. So I'm going to have you do your case first, because you already told me what it's going to be. Usually you don't. We keep it a secret. But you told me what you're going to do, and my case kind of echoes yours. Oh, okay, cool. So Yeah, yeah. normally... We don't tell each other, but I told Andre this time because it's been in the news and I thought there was a chance we might do the same one. So, And I um, already had mine picked out, so when she told me, I was like, oh, this is perfect. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, I can't wait to hear it. All right. So on August 7th, 2004, Nashville police responded to a 911 call and found the body of 43-year-old Johnny Allen. Alan was nude, lying face down in his bed. He'd been shot in the back of the head. In the early uh, morning hours of August 8th, police found Alan's white pickup truck in a parking lot and arrested 16-year-old Centoya Brown in connection with the shooting. At the time, she was staying in a nearby hotel with a man she referred to as Cutthroat. Brown had taken Alan's wallet and some of his guns. She waived her Miranda rights and told investigators that Alan had solicited her for sex on August 6th and driven her to his home where he showed her his guns and became violent. She feared for her life and shot him with the 40 caliber handgun she had in her purse, killing him in self-defense. Prosecutors argued that Brown's real motive was robbery, and despite her age, she was charged as an adult with first-degree felony murder and aggravated robbery. She was sentenced to two concurrent life sentences. And at her original trial, Brown wasn't allowed to testify on her own behalf, and her attorneys didn't offer into, like evidence of her traumatic childhood story and severe neurodevelopmental disorder. Which um, is something, you know, as important to the case. <laughs> And the exactly. person accused, so at least her, people talk. Yeah, I know. They should have let her say something. But basically, so her mom drank alcohol. She said as much as a fifth a day if I could get it throughout her pregnancy. Damn. And as a result, Brown, yeah, she's on the fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, which can result in poor impulse control and a disconnect between thought and action. So being a teenager, yeah, poor impulse control. <laughs> Yeah, so she was basically set up for failure from the start. Um, yeah. Following her pregnancy, Brown's mother began using crack cocaine, and at eight months old, Brown entered the foster care system and became a runaway in her early teens. She experienced numerous rapes and assaults during that time, and in 2004, at the age of 16, Centoya had again begun living with this 24-year-old man, Cutthroat, after being homeless for some time. No, is that his Their relationship name? Was, I know. <laughs> Certificate. <laughs> what a beautiful you name, name for a baby boy. Yeah, he just set them up for failure. Like, name your kid Scott. Yeah. His path was decided for him. No, he had some real name, but I didn't I didn't write it down because I didn't care about him. He's a piece of shit. Uh, basically, their relationship was physically, emotionally, and sexually abusive. There were several instances where Cutthroat pulled guns on Centoya. Um, once he choked her so hard that she passed out, and he also forced her into prostitution. So in Centoya's own words, 
He would explain to me that some people were born whores and that I was one and I was a slut and nobody would ever want me but him and that the best thing I could do was just learn to be a good whore. Oh. So, uh, yeah. So that just gives you the background. And on the night of August 6th, Cutthroat sent Centoya out with the order to get him some money. So Brown encountered Alan in the parking lot of a Sonic and he agreed to pay her $150 for sex, took Zentoya back to his house where he she would end up um, fatally shooting him in self-defense. So that gives you the background on the story. And there's been a lot of recent updates to the story. So strap in. Um, a 2011 documentary film about Brown's life outlines the ways in which her first trial had failed her. The system was stacked against her as a young woman of color engaging in sex work. And the film had a rippling effect on laws in Tennessee. As a result of her case, children under the age of 18 can no longer be tried for prostitution and are now instead considered to be sex trafficking victims. After seeing the film, an attorney named Charles Bone decided to take on Brown's case, saying that despite Brown's high IQ, she has the cognitive level of a 13-year-old due to her fetal alcohol syndrome, her traumatic past, and her abusive relationship with Cutthroat. So... The case came back into the spotlight again in 2017 when Rihanna shared this Instagram post. It said, Imagine at the age of 16 being sex trafficked by a pimp named Cutthroat. After days of being repeatedly drugged and raped by different men, you were purchased by a 43-year-old child predator who took you to his home to use you for sex. You end up finding enough courage to fight and shoot fight back and shoot and kill him you're arrested as a result and convicted as an adult and sentenced to life in prison this is the story of centoya brown she will be eligible for parole when she's 69 years old rihanna come um, through. so kim card yeah rihanna came through uh kim kardashian and other celebrities began to pick up the story and reshare it causing the hashtag free centoya brown to go viral Brown's lawyers were continuing to argue her case, stating that her imprisonment was unconstitutional under a Supreme Court ruling that life imprisonment sentences for minors violates the Eighth Amendment, which is cruel and unusual punishment. Uh, The Tennessee Supreme Court rejected that argument based on a loophole that defined a life sentence as 60 years. And because Centoya's sentence was only for 51 years, the court ruled that the ruling was not unconstitutional. Lawmakers and rights activists, yeah, highlighted the years of abuse and forced prostitution that she endured in her youth and lobbied the governor to grant her clemency before his term was up. So basically the whole trial was a mess and fuck the Tennessee Supreme Court. (laughs) (laughs) Um, While in prison, Centoya received her associate's degree from Lipscomb University and her bachelor's degree from Tennessee Prison for Women. She also collaborated with Tennessee's juvenile justice system to help counsel young people at risk. Overall, she was a model inmate. Yeah. She's light years today. Yeah. As a woman, different from the traumatized 16-year-old that she was, Doree Smith, founder and CEO of nonprofit and slavery Tennessee, said last January. She's mentoring troubled youth, working on her college degree, and she's planning a nonprofit so she can help other young people. And in Centoya's own words, she said, I learned that my life was and is not over in the documentary about her life. I can create opportunities where I can actually help people. So amid pressure from the public, Governor Bill Haslam granted clemency to Centoya in January 2019, stating that, Centoya Brown committed, by her own admission, a horrific crime at the age of eight or 16. Also, something to point out is this was actually a Republican governor, which I was kind of surprised to learn. But 
He said imposing a life sentence on a juvenile that would require her to serve at least 51 years before even being eligible for parole consideration is too harsh, especially in light of the extraordinary steps Mrs. Brown has taken to rebuild her life. Transformation should always be accompanied by hope. So on August 7th, earlier this month, she was finally allowed to walk free. Brown thanked the governor for his act of mercy and giving her a second chance. She said, I will do everything I can to justify your faith in me. Um, and she also thanked the Department of Corrections officials who helped her get an education. And she said, saw something in me worth salvaging. So that is the story of Centoya Brown. Um, I mean, God It just damn. shows you kind of how flawed the justice system is. Like this girl endured so much and they she just couldn't get a break. Throw yeah. her away. Yeah. Lock her up and throw away the key. So. But it also just shows you um, how like resilient a woman can be because she went through all of that and she's coming out of this with like a whole new outlook on life wanting to help people herself and she didn't stop fighting like someone could have easily just kind of given up on themselves and the world and she kept persevering like shit yeah no absolutely like that all of that would have broken me like the fact that this woman is even still standing is astounding but so I was really happy to see that story back in the news. I kind of had remembered them granting her clemency, but waiting to see when she was actually going to get out. So yeah. this was just a few weeks ago, and I hope that she does great things. Yeah, I'm excited to see like what she says. I, I, she's, she's a force. She's a force to be reckoned with, and I feel like she's going to make some real change out here. Yeah, yeah, I think it's going to be a cool journey to watch. But anyways, that is the story of Centoya Brown. And on that note, we're going to take a little break. I need time to find my mind, find my place and flourish. I'm the reason, I'm the motion, I'm just giving you the potion.
we're back. <laughs> so now my case really echoes in a lot of ways Mrs. Brown's case. And uh, it's infuriating. It's kind of confusing. And at the end of it, when after I got done researching it and writing out the outline, I really didn't know how I felt about it. <laughs> so we're just getting to it. Because my case is about Crystal Kaiser. So on June 5th last year, first responders found the charred remains of a man named Fowler after firefighters were called to a house fire in Kinso, Wisconsin. Now an autopsy later showed that this man wasn't only burned to death, but he was shot twice in the head and died well before the fire actually happened. So okay. all this all this craziness is going on, the neighbors told police that the man, Randall Voller, his head of BMW that's usually parked outside of his house, but that BMW was gone. So police figured maybe the person who started this fire and killed this man also stole the vehicle and they wanted to hunt to look for that car. Now, Milwaukee police found the abandoned BMW at 554 a.m. the next day at the intersection of 6th Street and West Canal Street. Police found a cell phone and a family dollar receipt from the evening before inside the car. Uh, police also reviewed the security footage from the store linking three juveniles seen in the security, in the security video to the like people contacting a cell phone. So they kind of put two and two together and they brought, this brought them to Crystal Kaiser's 16 year old brother. He was one of the juveniles in the car and Kaiser dumped the car on him. When I dumped it, she kind of like quote unquote gifted it to him. So mm -hmm. they found him and through invest an investigation and like intimidating him, like really just grilling into him, he gave up her location and whereabouts. Uh, yeah, so, and then the address on the, uh, Receipt also matched a rideshare receipt, like an Uber rideshare receipt, mm -hmm. like to an address that was Kaiser's address. Like, so basically, they got the address on the receipt, the address from the Uber receipt, and then the address that their brother gave her. And that was like, all right, well, obviously, this is where she's at. Like, their brother isn't trying to like throw us off anywhere. This is her location. And detectives went and got her. And at the same time, okay. they're also looking up who she is. And the detective linked her previous mugshot to her Facebook page to get like a positive identification on the person. So they're like, all right, like this is the girl because she has a history and this here's a mugshot, here's her on Facebook. And as they're looking at her Facebook, they see that she's posted a bunch of shit. But she posted okay. a, she posted a selfie five hours before the estimated killing of Randall Valor happened. And like the geotag of that selfie was like in the same location. Mm -hmm. So just remember all that because I was gonna come back into play. So three days, three days go by as they're like kind of building a lot of evidence against her before they actually make their arrest. Kaiser posted a live video on Facebook of herself holding a handgun with ammo, saying that she had given her brother a new BMW, and saying that she wasn't quote unquote afraid to kill again. And then she also shared. Oh my god. Yeah, and then she also shared a article that the local police posted about the uh, fire and the shooting on her wall. So, uh, truly, we don't have like a criminal mastermind on our hands. Not at all. She's really <laughs> doing the most here. Yeah, yeah, she's, the, <laughs> she's, she's doing the most. 
So <laughs> police, of course, they're all watching this and they're putting A and B together and say, you know what? We got enough to go on for this arrest. Police arrested Kaiser the following day at her boyfriend's house. Detectives interview Kaiser's boyfriend, who was a 21-year-old man. Uh, by the way, she's 16 herself. Uh, who told oh, police great. that he had purchased her a handgun for protection because Kaiser told her that she was tired of dudes touching on her and she wanted to protect herself. Oh, on June 5th. So he like illegally purchased her a handgun? Can you even own a handgun when you're 16? I feel like that's a no-no. Well, it was, it was his gun at 21. So I think he purchased it under his name, but then gifted it to her. So yeah, le- un- illegally she had a gun. Okay. So, uh, Oof. yeah, <laughs> Oof. and he also told her that that morning when she went to this guy's house, she he knew that she bought the gun with her and she said that I'm tired of this dude touching on me, so I, I will shoot him. And that's what he told police. And uh, after the shooting, her boyfriend told police that she told him she, quote unquote, had just shot a white dude and is about to set a house on fire. He also said that he witnessed her Facebook video bragging about like, you know, I shot somebody, I'd do it again. And during the video, interrupted her and said, get off Facebook, stop filming this, I'm saying that. Now, yeah, the end of, like, yeah, like, girl, stop. Someone someone in this story has like a, maybe a little, well, little uh, not sense. much, but yeah. a, a tiny bit of sense. <laughs> so simultaneously as they're interviewing him, they're interviewing her, and she at first denied all the allegations, you know, had no, she's like, I don't know what you're talking about, didn't do anything. Blah, 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 blah. But as police were able to trace the bullet casing to the gun, seeing the video back to her gun, and they kind of laid out everything in front of her, she started crying and admitted that she gotten upset. She was tired of the man Randall while touching her, and she grabbed a handgun out the purse, yelled, I'm going to do it, and then pulled the trigger. So now let's kind of like backtrack to the night in question. The night he was killed, Randall Baller paid an Uber driver to bring, at the time, 16-year-old Crystal Kaiser from Milwaukee to his house. So it was like a couple hours away. He paid for a 16-year-old girl to drive to his house. And he is a 30-something-year-old man. So <laughs> obviously, yeah, we, we can see what his intentions probably were. Now, when, yeah. Kaiser, when Kaiser got there, she told police that Baller had already been drinking beer. He was drunk off his ass. He ordered a pizza and sometime later after he like kind of was trying to initiate sex with her and really was getting rough she got angry pulled out a gun pointed it at his head and told him to take a seat near his computer then she shot him twice and she said that she quote unquote used what she learned from criminal minds the tv show and <laughs> put the dishes that she had earlier like when they were eating in the dishwasher cleaned up all her things then poured alcohol around the body and used tissues and paper towels to set the house on fire to kind of cover her tracks. She then took his laptop computer, yeah. climbed out a window, got into his BMW, and then drove off to pick up her friends. Now, Kaiser is being charged with first-degree murder, intentional homicide, auto theft, arson, possession of a firearm as a felony, and also jumping bail because she does have history, that's why she has a mugshot, of when she was right. in this insane like teenage like 20 car fucking car theft ring where they stole just a bunch of jeeps they threw like 27 jeeps what? over like throughout milwaukee just her and these other kids <laughs> it's it fucking wild the bling ring could never yeah the bling ring is shaking 
<laughs> and she was a part of that, and she like jumped out on that, so she kind of already had, she already had a history. That's why they had the mugshot. And it kind of, it kind of sounds like this girl just killed a guy who, you know, it sounds bad, but there's a part of, you have to take into account Val's history, because he also has a fucked up history too. So last October, Kaiser's public defenders introduced a motion that would require the state to turn over some key evidence that if they didn't do this, we would not have known. So at the time of his killing, Valor was under investigation for sexual misconduct with multiple underage girls. So he has a history. Are we surprised? Yeah, exactly. No, we are not. <laughs> not. So quote, the defense <laughs> believes that this discovery in this case suggests that Mrs. Kaiser acted in self-defense, that Mr. Valor, 34 year old man, was engaged in ongoing sexual and physical abuse of Mrs. Kaiser, who then was 16, along with several other girls whose identities are currently unknown to the defense. And this is what the judge said. Uh, Kaiser's attorneys contained that Fowler transported her from Milwaukee to obviously engage with sex with her. And then she resisted, they struggled, and then she shot him. Uh, the complaint further states that while under investigation in the months before his murder, police had evidence that Mr. Bowler was producing child pornography and that the police oh there my God. Yeah, and that the police there had been alerted by TFC Bank, a financial institute utilized by Mrs. Ba- Mr. Bowler, that Mr. Bowler's account had been flagged under suspicion of being involved in human trafficking. So his bank even told police that he that his account's being frozen because he's involved in human trafficking. <laughs> so I'm sorry, so did the prosecution know all of this and like they just They were trying to keep it under wraps. Yeah. Oh my gosh. They were trying to keep that out of the case because obviously it would not help their case. It paints a very different picture, yeah. Yeah. Oh man. So it goes from, oh, this young black woman just shot this man and stole his car and lit his house on fire to oh, this young black woman was engaged in a sexual act with this 34-year-old man who has a history of abusing a woman and making child porn. And it seems like she was trying to protect herself. And yeah, self-defense from a child predator. Yeah. And this case echoes and parallels with Mrs. Brown's case because they're both victims of childhood sexual sex trafficking. Uh, they both shot a man who basically perched them in a way for sex. And like, they're both 16 or eight. Like, literally checked out in boxes. There's just a bunch of different parallels. And yeah, that is crazy. And it is scary that that is more than one person's story. Like that shows yep. you how common this really is. And that is upsetting. And as I, was, I was like looking through Facebook and stuff like that. And because a lot of her background had, because this is still fairly recent. Like this is how it happened last year. Her personal background. Oh, wow has not come, in, come out yet, like, at all. But some people who claim to know her, came to her family, say that she's been in not a, like, a system, and, like, she, like her personal family life is horrible. <laughs> like, she's been abused, blah, blah, blah. So, like, you have to take all those things into account, like you did with Mrs. Brown, as, yeah. Yeah, it, because no normal, like, healthy, well-adjusted kid from, like, I don't know, Milwaukee. an upstanding family <laughs> is casually involved in, like, a car theft ring or yeah like that's not has an older boyfriend gifting them handguns like and obviously she's a she's doing stupid kid stuff because what oh i I saw this on tv so i did it 
if that's like the hallmark of a yeah. genius murderer, this a child <laughs> mimicking what they saw on TV. And the fact that she's like streaming it all on Facebook, Facebook like the, yeah, the whole the way. cognitive function is just not there. And it's just also this that that bias against women of color in the justice system, where they just they're ready to get the book thrown at them. Like they're already trying to charge her as an adult too, and it's like, well, she wasn't an adult; she's not an adult. So you have to take that into account when going about this too. But yeah, that's the story of Crystal Kaiser. Sorry, Hello? you cut out there. <laughs> Hello. Oh, I'm sorry, but yeah, but yeah, no, that's the story <laughs> of Crystal Kaiser, and it's fucked up and it's sad. Yeah, it is wild how closely those two stories parallel each other. And there's probably more stories like, like ooh, that. Ooh, doggy. Also, what a piece of shit, that man. But yeah, so I think we're good to wrap up now. I think so. Yeah, well, I am Andre Matthews. I'm Angie. <laughs> and uh, make sure you follow us on Facebook at Bruh's Murder, Twitter, Murder Bruh, uh, Instagram, at Bros of Murder. We're in the true crime section of iTunes now, so you know it's easier to find us. Make sure you give us a like and give us a review. Um uh, what else is there? Oh yeah, we're back to being bi-weekly because like I said, we're both in school and stuff. And we're bettering our futures. Yeah, we're <laughs> we're bettering our futures. Cause it's hot nerd fall coming up, so <laughs> thought em. But <laughs> And yeah, I think that's it for me. Love you. Bye. Bye. This podcast is part of the Colored Commentary Network. Colored Commentary Network. Colored Commentary Network. Colored Commentary Network. Where inclusivity matters.